listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly wrap-up of the news of the week, Just Ask the Press. With us, as always, is editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and joining us this week... In, in, in place of Michael Zeldin, who has a family emergency, and we we wish our best to to Michael, is our uh, well another stellar mind in the in the eyes of the law, Mark Zaid. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to unwrap quite a bit. Rudy Giuliani is going broke, or at least he's got to come up with $150 million. Uh, Trump embraces Nazism again while on the campaign street, uh, on the campaign trail. While his lead widens, uh, there is a formalized impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And we'll take a look at what that means. And then at the same time, Hunter Biden and Jim Jordan have both refused subpoenas to Congress, and what's the difference, and why is Jim screaming at Hunter? There were three Israeli hostages killed while waving a white flag, and then watch out the proposed move of the Caps and the Wizards to no man's land in the Potomac Yard. So stick around. We'll have that and a lot more. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And as always, we're here to look at our weekend review of the news on Just Ask the Press. And with me, of course, as I said earlier, is editor-at-large CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and probably the best FOIA attorney on the planet uh, joining us today, Mark Zaid. We're going to start out with the very top of, I, I don't even know how to say this without laughing, but I'll try Rudy Giuliani was found guilty uh, doing some very horrible things to people and got fined $150 million for doing it. And at the same time, Rudy says he's he doesn't care if he slandered or libeled people. He's very proud of what he did, bearing false witness against his neighbor, and Jesus would be proud of him. So it is a dad, according to Rudy. Uh, so we'll start unpacking that first. Mark, I guess I'll give you the uh, go there. Let, let's hear what you got. So in many ways, this story is is not it's certainly not a surprise. It's a story, but there's there's no there's very little surprise with this one. Anyone who knows the facts of the case knows that these two election workers from Georgia and the accusations that Giuliani made were going to be ridiculously false. More to the point, Giuliani had stipulated. That they were false. So this aspect of the trial was one for damage determination from civil liability versus determining substantive liability because that had been conceded. And as usual, Giuliani just made it worse for himself as he went along because he would go out and talk to the press uh, after the day's court proceedings were done, and he would reiterate the defamation that he's already admitted to be false by saying it was true. And his lawyer 
understandably, ethically, and to his credit, backpedaled numerous times in court to essentially condemn what his own client was doing and to start to, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, make excuses for him, try to justify why he was acting the way he did because Judge Howell, Beryl Howell, who used to be the chief judge uh, and is now stepped back into a regular district court role and been on the bench for a couple of decades, have been before her many times, you know, she was aghast as to what Giuliani was doing. And the story to me here, and Brian, you get lots of praise, actually, here, <laughs> uh, unbeknownst to you. Unbeknownst uh, to me. Unbeknownst to you that you get this praise. The, the issue is so many of us, I'm sure, have been having conversations about what the hell is going on with Rudy Giuliani. It has been just a downward spiral. We're not talking about just the issue of political positioning and harsh positions. It has been just a downward spiral of judgment and that it really does appear that there's something medically wrong with him. And, you know, as Brian knows, my neuroscientist girlfriend, uh, you know, and I talk about this issue going, there's some sort of dementia going on here that's debilitating and progressing. Yep. And nobody talks about it. And so we we were talking about it. I'm, I mean, and I'm not talking about the standard person on Twitter who anonymously right. shouts something out. I'm talking about, like, you know, the mainstream saying what is going on here. And instead of the left wing media just slamming Rudy for the comments, no one is coming on and saying, let's try and understand there's something wrong with this guy. And and it's and it's out of his control, and and maybe somebody really needs to have an intervention here. And when we Googled, is anyone talking about this issue of the possibility he's suffering from dementia? The only article we saw, Brian, was yours. Oh. You wrote one a while back, actually. I think yeah. it was even 2020. That and it was like the only real mainstream article we saw. And to me, that's that's the real story that is being ignored. I don't know if it's because people are concerned they'll get sued for defamation, even though, you know, by my saying, there are signs of dementia that he's suffering from. Uh, and I'm not making a medical diagnosis because I can't, but he's a public figure. And I think progressively this has demonstrated why it would explain his his conduct over the years. But and and doctors loathe, even though many do, and they did it in for again about Trump. Some wrote books about diagnosing him without you know being a, his doctor, no patient doctor privilege. They've never examined him, so they're speculating. But there's still things you can raise and discuss. And there's been a lot of folks uh, who used to work with Giuliani who are going on the newscast. And just excoriating him. Uh, I, uh, one of them said the, uh, his daughter has changed her last name, taken on the name of uh, her maid, her mom's maiden name, so as to not be associated with the name Giuliani, because now, frankly, it's going to be a disgrace. Uh, and I think this is just a really sad, sad story. I, I'm, I'm glad for the two women who won the case. They should have. Uh, hopefully, they'll get some money. He's going to sell his apartment in New York City, which I think has a price tag of six mil, but I don't know if it's uh, like quadruple mortgaged. Uh, so it was a nice victory. Uh, and I, I, I hope to use that as an example in these other MAGA cases that I'm dealing with 
uh, where so many MAGA officials are going uh, aggressively on the war path to sue people, even though they know they have frivolous lawsuits. So, John, is there going to be any effect in the world <laughs> that in, in the political world due to Rudy? Or is this just going to be uh, cloistered and, and, and cornered with with just Rudy? It'll probably be uh, isolated to just Rudy. I mean, we might be seeing a little bit of an effect, not necessarily from uh, Giuliani's case in New Hampshire, but it does seem like there is some movement to Nikki Haley there. There's a new poll out this morning. I believe she's uh, up to 29%. So she's within 15% of Trump in New Hampshire. Um, but, you know, once you get through Iowa, New Hampshire in the in the primary, um, oh, by the way, we're going to South Carolina. So this thing will be wrapped up by then. Uh, Rance Priebus was on one of the um, the Sunday shows this morning. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and he laid out the Trump campaign strategy, you know, win Iowa comfortably. And then if you win, if they win New Hampshire by more than 10 points, again, he's up about 15 now in the poll, latest poll, then they'll say this thing's over. Everyone consolidate around uh, former President Trump. So you might see it in places like New Hampshire. But again, New Hampshire ain't South Carolina. Uh, New Hampshire's not a lot of red states, if you know what I mean. So you know, it'll be maybe a small impact, but no, this isn't this isn't a game changer by any means. Not even close. When I look at it and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, but when I look at it, it's not a game changer, but it does. It, it's another peeling away of the onion when it comes to Donald Trump. I mean, it's just it can, it, and the, the thing is, is when you look at Rudy uh, and having covered him many years before, Mark, you're right. It somebody's got to look at his at, at at his you know mental state. I don't think it's sound. I don't think it has been for a while. I mean, he was quoting my cousin Vinny a couple of years ago when he would come out on stage as if that were a legitimate case. I guess the the ultimate question is: Does anybody look at this and take it seriously as far as as politics going forward in the U.S.? And that's where I I I I just think it it portends. And speaks to the not only the uh, shallow nature of politics, but the the hypocritical nature of politics in the U.S. The guy but needs he, help. <laughs> well, it, he needs help, and 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 these are connected to why, from what John was just describing, the lack of impact. It's because the Trump team and MAGA world have already discarded Rudy Giuliani. He he's on the outside. Yeah. I mean, He's always been slightly on the outside of Trump unless Trump needed him. And there were a lot of times when Trump needed him, January 6th, playing this big role at the conventions, things like that. But, you know, he never took on a role uh, substantively inside the White House or the administration. Uh, he was being considered at one point for secretary of state, and uh, they did interviews with him. And I think we might have talked about this at one point, or I'm sure you guys did, but I think I did, too. That you know, it, it was laughable. You know, he he couldn't yeah. articulate answers, so they kept him hands distance. Uh, Trump, unlike Walt Nada and some of these other co-defendants, Trump has not been paying Rudy's legal fees. He he was already on the way to being broke without a hundred and fifty million dollar judgment. The mainstream MAGA, other than probably the person, you know, on the street who doesn't really pay attention to the news and still favorably remembers Giuliani, but the insiders in the in the Trump team, Giuliani's not a factor. 
So this, this case is going to have very little impact on anyone on that side, especially because Giuliani's still denying it, even, yeah. even though he's admitted to it. Yeah, well, but but the reality is, look, I was there Jan and John, uh, you know, remember January 6th, it was Rudy who said trial by combat. It was Rudy who who came to and has always and still continues to come to Trump's defense. And while they may have thrown him under the bus, they still I, I mean, that's the hypocrisy of it. They'll still quote him. They'll still use him. They'll still say, hey, Rudy's right. It's a this is a put a, it's a sham. But man, he was part of the driving. He was part of the driving force working for Donald Trump prior to and up to January 6th. And that uh, think about that for a second. I don't, a I don't mean, suffering I don't mean from dementia. Be, I don't mean to be flipped, but I hear you lay all that out. And the first thing that pops in my head is and. and yeah, I know. I know. Or or, or 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 so what? And I know a guy who wrote a column recently, and here's another um, bit of this. Trump has so desensitized all of us that, oh, Rudy, Rudy got a judgment for one hundred forty eight million dollars. Oh, just another day in Trump world. What's for dinner? Um, that guy was me. I wrote a column recently. Yes, I read the column. It was a very yeah. good column. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, let me check my fantasy football team. Uh, Trump said something racist again. Oh, let me go take out the trash. And this is a skill of his, and he uses it to his advantage. And, you know, I saw the alert. I was getting a haircut Friday, and I saw the alert when, when I got out of the chair. And, you know, at first I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, eh. <laughs> well, I just moved right on. I just moved right on. I didn't read the story until yesterday. I read the alert that I the, the alerts I got on my phone and uh, got to go. Got got to go to Whole Foods. And uh, speaking of alerts and and moving on, Donald Trump appeared in Durham, New Hampshire this week, and uh, he sent out an email afterwards talking about all the highlights of what he said. One of the things that he didn't talk about in the highlights was uh, what I, Reuters and others reported when he talked about poisoning the blood of our country, uh, repeating language that has previously drawn criticism as xenophobic and echoing of Nazi rhetoric. And you sent that article out today, this morning. Uh, uh, John, you want to have at it? Uh, you get to unpack this particular issue. Is it another eh? Lucky me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did this to myself. Yes, no, this, I mean, it shouldn't be right. It shouldn't right. be. This should be. This should be yet another moment where reasonable people, um, even Trump supporters say, OK, that's too far. But, you know, it, it just doesn't register. It registers, obviously, register with me because I sent it, uh, sent it around to you guys. Um, yeah, but again, it does. It showcases how nothing appears to dent this guy maybe again somewhere like new hampshire maybe it's going to be the primary is going to be a smaller margin than than we expected a few months ago um he'll probably still win there but you you, you said earlier and i th I think his comment last night shows you said it, it's a the, the rudy decision and and this should be too this comment last night uh peels another layer off the trump onion it's almost like there's an unlimited number of layers. It's it, it's like a sci-fi movie where you know they're they're trying to get out of the house and and you know they're they're 
You keep you opening know, a door and you're back yeah, in the same they keep, room. Yeah, they keep they think they're opening the back door and they're back in the living room and they just keep doing that over and over again. And that's kind of Trump. It's you like, you know, you have these moments where, oh, this is it, or that's too far. Okay, people are gonna know. And it never happens. We I, I was talking this morning. You sent a story around Brian, um, and it was written in this um, almost shocked tone of uh, Trump is the GOP establishment. There's no establishment right. anymore. And I was reminded that convention night 2016, I wrote a story for Roll Call saying that he had completed his takeover of the Republican Party. That was seven years ago. So, again, this last night should have been one of these moments where the Republican voters say, OK, let me take a Let me let me take a third look at Nikki Haley. Let me get serious right. here. But he's just so popular. And again, what this shows is a lot of people will agree with that sentiment. A lot of people do agree with that sentiment. And that is that's just reality. And I know liberals struggle with that notion a lot. And when I talk to them or listen to them, they just they you know, it, it's hard for them to fathom that millions of Americans would tend to agree with what Trump said, but that's reality. They do. Well, one of the things that he said, and Mark, I want to go to you on this. I, look, some of the things he said is some of the shit that Donald Trump always says, you know, not one thing has gotten better. This, this, These are the highlights that he sent out, by the way. Not one thing has gotten better under crooked Joe Biden, under the Trump administration. You were better off. Your family was better off. America was stronger, richer, safer, more confident than ever. He's going to rebuild his our cities into beacons of hope. I have no idea what the hell that even means. Safety and beauty, it will be the greatest investment ever made. You and I, John, heard, you know, the investment every week for, you know, four years. It was infrastructure week and nothing ever happened. So I don't suspect anything's going to happen in that regard. And then finally, and here's the part that, you know, this is a quote that he sends out to his followers. On my first day back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration, which there are none. Stop the invasion of our southern border, which there is none, and begin the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. So what he's basically telling you is that you're going to be paying 10 bucks for a tomato because those jobs that are filled by you know migrant workers are not going to be filled as cheaply by anyone else. But Mark, you have at it. Does any of this surprise you? Is it, and, and do you think there'll be any fallout politically from it? None of it surprises me because, as we all continue to say, this is Trump. This is who Trump has always been. He he's he certainly becomes progressively more aggressive and, and more emboldened by his own rhetoric, and obviously, maybe justifiably so. When you see the the worse he does, the more support he gets. The more he gets indicted, the more support he gets, the more he quotes Hitler or Stalin or Putin or whomever as a dictator. I'm going to be a dictator only my first day, the more support he gets. I mean, in many ways, we're at this point where it, it's far more damning about the state of our country than it is about him. There's lots yeah. of people like him in the country. Uh, you know, they're a minority, but they're a vocal, growing, strong minority. And the fact that people, voters are embracing him, even if not to switch to Joe Biden. Okay. I, you know, those of us who understand and, and follow politics, we understand why Trump got votes and Hillary Clinton didn't. We yeah. understand why 
Trump may get votes and Biden might not by the independents like I am or the Republicans. But hey, Republicans, you have other candidates. You have multiple other candidates, including some who supported many of Trump's substantive policies, even though they never really amounted to anything. So why aren't they switching to Nikki Haley, DeSantis, uh, whomever of that? And I mean, that's amazing to me. Uh, And I just the more I hear of the substantive comments that Trump speaks and who knows if he even recognizes the language he's actually saying versus someone writing this line and stealing it from Hitler and just putting it in the speech. And Trump has no idea that that's a what the, that's what a the source of it is. Yeah. Uh, doesn't care, you know, but it, it, I'm just constantly being reminded of, of Martin. I'm going to say this, uh, pronounce it wrong. You know, Nee Mueller, the pastor from world war two, uh, you know, a first they came, uh, type poem where, you know, first they came for the communists, but I didn't say anything because I'm not a communist. They came for the trade workers. I'm not a trade worker. They didn't say anything. They came for the Jews. I'm not Jewish. I'm not going to say anything. And then they came for me and nobody was left to say anything. And the people who support Trump, he doesn't, the thing that drives me crazy is he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about you evangelicals. He doesn't care about you MAGA people. He cares about himself and he'll use you to help himself. And when he's done with you, like Rudy Giuliani, he will discard or ignore you. And at some point in time, while some of us have either ended up in jail because of a second Trump administration or left the country and are fighting from abroad, at some point in time, he's going to go after someone that they love, that they like, the, the gardener who they've known for 20 years and thought was such a great guy, who it turns out never actually processed properly for their green card. And then they're going to realize, wait a minute, this is something wrong. And nobody's going to care because only the Trump sycophants are going to be left. It's, it's, I am really in, in, you know, our lifetime going back now more than half a century and having seen tough times uh, as kids, not really much as adults for the most part. Right. Uh, But understanding our parents and grandparents who did see tough times through the World War Two and and the Depression, even uh, and McCarthyism and the Red Scare and Vietnam. You know, I think this current situation is far worse, you know, setting apart a world war, you know, that we're not in that but far worse than we've ever seen as far as threatening as to what's on the horizon. And and a threat to well to democracy and and security across the globe since yeah. we're supposedly hey, the Roman Empire right falls at some point in time, and so too will the United States. And I didn't think it was going to be in our lifetime, and I'm not quite so sure anymore. That's that's a pretty that's a bold statement and also you know quotable. But that's <laughs> but John, I'll give you the last uh, on this before we head to break. Yeah, Mark made a good point. Mark made a good point about what if this stuff is not registering with Trump? What if he's just reading it? When he made the first remark weeks ago um, that drew so much ire, he was reading. I've I've covered enough of these rallies to know when he's on stage ranting and raving and when he's riffing, when he's testing things out with the crowd or when the you know, the he really responds to the crowd a lot. But when he's reading, 
he has a certain look. His head is tilted. And <clears throat> I haven't seen last night's clip. I, I read a Reuters story, so I haven't seen the video clip. But the first time he was reading. So yeah. that is someone on his staff. That is what they truly believe. And that's what they believe millions of people want to hear from Trump. And, you know, but then when Trump's asked about it, he certainly doubles and triples down on it. Um, and I think Mark Seltzer, right, this does say a lot about the country. Remember, this guy got more votes, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2020 than any other sitting president. He didn't win the popular vote, but he got, what, seven, almost 78 million votes? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the final, the Electoral College made it, and I, I sound like a broken record on this show and elsewhere that I've said this, um, the Electoral College made it look like a bigger victory than it actually was for Joe Biden. Uh, this is going to be another close election. And, you know, these things that Trump says, they're in the prompter. Somebody wrote it. And we've I, I don't know if Mark was on or if it was uh, if it was Michael. We were talking about how um, these comments now are more troubling because, you know, there won't be a General Kelly. There won't be a Rance Priebus. There yep. won't be these people sent in from the party and elsewhere to kind of be a governor on Trump and the Stephen Millers of the world in a second Trump term, you know, again, there's no general Kelly there. There's no safeguard. There are so few guardrails and this stuff, it it's one thing to be in a rally speech and everybody, you know, um, is concerned and outraged by it. This goes straight into the policy machine. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we have a lot more to unpack. Stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen, with our weekly review of the news, Just Ask the Press. With me, as always, is editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And joining us today also is Mark Zaid, the preeminent, uh, I, I always say preeminent, <laughs> FOIA attorney in the United States, and has also deals with, well, national security issues. Correct, Mark? Yep. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to let you un unravel this national security issue the formalized impeachment inquiry this week the uh, uh house decided to formally uh start a formal inquiry into joe biden for impeachment now according to chuck grassley and other senators in uh the gop they don't know what the hell they're investigating because there doesn't seem to be any facts to back up the investigation and it only mostly seems to be about his son hunter but have at it unpack that one for us where are we so this vote oh, and why is a formal inquiry important? I'll let that add that question. Sure. I mean, this vote symbolizes what impeachment actually is a political process. It is not as Trump's lawyers are trying to argue for double jeopardy in order to extricate himself from the criminal case. 
a substantive determination that has a legal impact other than there are some legal repercussions like if the person was impeached completely found guilty by the senate they couldn't run for office again things like that there are and they're removed from office but there are no legal consequences you don't go to jail for impeachment or or anything of the sort it is a political process by which to remove a public official and it's not just to the president they are federal judges that is generally where it's been used uh, to, over over the years, and in fact, there you know, Al C. Hastings from Florida was a federal judge removed, impeached, and then he ran for Congress and joined the same body that had impeached him and removed him. So this one is an example of tit for tat, and both the Democrats and the Republicans have opened up Pandora's box that we are going to be left with for the remaining, however, years or decades, hopefully, of our lives, because they keep going back and forth to do what the other is perceived to have done to them. Now, in order to be uh, impeached, it has to be a high crimes and misdemeanor. Nothing has been identified with respect to President Biden yet. If the allegations that Congressman Comer, who's basically the mouthpiece leader of this, could be proven, hey, by all means, But even fellow Republican members of Congress, although they voted politically to open up the formal impeachment process to just start the investigation, it gives certain powers to the committees, et cetera, to do subpoenas. They've also said, as you mentioned about Senator Grassley, who obviously is not involved with this yet because they would be the the jurors of the impeachment trial, not the prosecutors, which is the House, they're shaking their head going, there's nothing. I see nothing. I mean, much less forget the facts of what the allegations are. There's a question of even if it happened, did it did it happen that's impeachable now because it wasn't while Biden was president? Yeah. There are allegations when he was vice president, but he's not vice president anymore. You're not impeaching him for being the vice president. It would be like you know, taking going after Trump for something that he did 20 years ago and impeaching him now. No, that's not how the process is supposed to work. So this is a political show. The Republicans think they'll gain some points against the Democrats, maybe hurt Biden. I don't know if that's going to be true or not. I suppose we could all speculate on that. I think time will tell. It has the chance of backfiring on the Republicans for sure. Uh, probably, if I had to speculate, I think more likely to backfire than to uh, be helpful because proof is in the pudding. You know, where there's smoke, is there fire? And right now, there's just even a weak amount of smoke. But again, you know, they've set the stage for uh, yet another factor of let's say Trump wins again. And if the Democrats can do well in the election, which is entirely possible at the House. In the Senate level, guess what we're going to see in 2025? Another impeachment report. <laughs> yeah. Well, where there's smoke, there's fire. But also where there's smoke, sometimes there's just someone blowing smoke up your ass. And that's where I, I think they are right now. But the the question, the political question of it, I, I look at it, even the Republicans are shaking their heads, John. Is this, at the end of the day, we know why it was done. It was done at the behest of, of Donald Trump. I mean, there's, you know, that's Comer has about all the political acumen of, of a nail file, but, um, and a rusty one at that. But at the same time, um, you can't ignore this. 
and uh, Biden hasn't ignored it. We get it, you're on the email chain. We get from the White House every day the pushback, much as we got pushback during the Trump uh, uh, presidency, except we haven't heard the term witch hunt yet. Nonetheless, when you look at it in Congress, is there anyone who who's cogent, capable of cogent thought who thinks this is going to go anywhere? I don't believe. Uh, no, I think the answer is no. Uh, Lindsey Graham uh, this morning or yesterday uh, over the weekend said if there was a smoking gun, we would be talking about it. Uh, and and forgive me if I'm a little off. I spent three days last week covering the House as they went through this process, including um, what felt like a four day rules committee debate. But it was only part of one day. But it was very fascinating, like a week. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I had to cover a rules committee hearing. And, you know, it was it was very enlightening that uh, Congressman Nagus, a Democrat, uh, was asking his Republican colleagues on the rules committee um, very pointedly, what specific potential high crimes are you investigating? Because they've been investigating that they there was an informal right. impeachment inquiry since September and an investigation uh, since the Republicans uh, took control of the House uh, last January. So they've been at this a long time, and they can't say what specific high crime, um, that there could be an article of impeachment down the road. And he asked them multiple times, and they couldn't point to anything. Now, they, they say the, the allegation is basically influence peddling and potential bribery, but they haven't shown us any evidence of that. And, you know, they were pressed all week then on the House floor as they debated uh, before they uh, they held the vote to formalize. Democrats were asking, you know, show us the evidence, just show us the evidence. If you say you have all this evidence. Um, so I, I don't think this is going anywhere. I talked to a couple of Republican strategists um, uh, last week and they acknowledged that this is all political, uh, that, you know, the Bidens probably did use the father's name to make some money, but that certainly wouldn't be the first time in American history that's ever happened. Um, and it and, didn't uh, happen while he was president. Let's, I mean, none right. of this that they're looking at happened while Joe Biden was president of the United States. Or and am the, I missing a point? <laughs> I sometimes, I mean, I, I listened to the, I, I thought I was missing something. I was watching the, the rules committee debate. Um, and I, I frequently feel like I'm missing something when I see uh, Chairman Comer, Chairman Jordan on Fox News. Um, but, you know, if if you want it so badly, then then you're I mean, they're convinced they are convinced that that Joe Biden broke the law. Um, it's important to say here now, while he couldn't be charged while he's a sitting president, DOJ could give some indication that they think he broke the law and, and he might be charged when he leaves office. office. They haven't come close to that. So that's important to say. No state or federal prosecutor has said that they think Joe Biden as vice president, as a civilian, and then as president uh, broke a single law. So do you think at the end of the day this fizzles out and nothing is done? Do you think they'll end up bringing it? No. Formal yeah, charges? I wrote this week. I, I wrote this week that House Republicans have to stay at this through the election. And and it's because it's the loyalty test. That's what one one of the Republican strategists I talked to, he called it a loyalty test to Donald Trump. And and we saw that this week. Uh, the Rules Committee Republicans wouldn't even say Donald Trump's name. I went back to the transcript 
um, you know, Hunter Biden's name was said like 56 times, but Donald Trump's name was was only said by the Democrats. And, and they accused him in, in the rules uh, hearing of, of just that, that this is one big loyalty test to Trump. And the Republicans just changed the subject. They, they didn't want to acknowledge it. I mean, they didn't deny it, of course, but uh, they didn't even want to go there. One thing I found interesting, especially when I went back to the transcript, trying to pull some quotes later in the week, because I'll pull the curtain back. You want fresh quotes if you can get them. And that yeah, what used. a concept. <laughs> but I noticed as the hearing, they, they broke for votes. They came back in the afternoon. And by the afternoon, the Republicans weren't speaking in complete sentences. They got discombobulated. The Democrats and Brian, you and I, we when we criticize Democrats, we say they always find a way to lose. Yeah. Well, if you were, if if and we do this, and we probably shouldn't as the media. If you looked at that like a ball game, the the rules committee hearing, I thought Democrats won the debate, um, and Republicans were really they were discombobulated by the end of it, but it didn't matter because the, the know, facts they, don't yeah, matter. The facts don't matter. They go to the floor, and all Republicans voted to formalize this inquiry, including those seventeen House Republicans who won districts in 2022 that Joe Biden won in 2020. So they got unanimity. Their line is this is an impeachment. This just gives us some more legal powers, puts us on firmer legal ground um, when team Biden starts challenging subpoenas and things uh, as they go forward. But and we'll see. We'll see what the courts rule about all that. Well, we'll get into the subpoenas in a second. But I got to tell you, I, I go back to what Mark said earlier, and, and, and it's something you said that we've all thought and rarely speak out loud and uh, that, you know, we know the Roman empire fell. Are we watching the fall of America in our lifetime? Because when I look at what goes on in Congress and I look at what's going on with this impeachment inquiry, divorced from facts, divorced from any sense of reality, you have to wonder what the hell this country's where, where we're going. You just, can do. you imagine, can you imagine how many times house Democrats, if they take back, the the chamber in 2025 and trump wins how how many impeachment inquiries they'll have one every week there'll be an on there'll be a standing committee that's a new standing committee on house select committee to impeach the president yeah yeah that's exactly what we're gonna see And, and we'll probably see very few confirmed people i mean you know the in axios did an article a week or so ago about who is likely to be in a second Trump cabinet, which is one of the things that concerns me because I've had litigation against like half of them and been called <laughs> names by about a, a whole bunch of them too. And, you know, these are people who probably, unless it, there's an overwhelming majority of, of Republican control in the House or the Senate, depending on what the position is, aren't going to get confirmed. So we're going to see a lot of people put into positions being the acting so-and-so or uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember like what the Secretary of Homeland Security when I dealt with him. Uh, it, it was like acting with the powers of. It wasn't even acting. It was it was this weird terminology that they were using from a legal standpoint, but they weren't formalized to be uh, in that position. And I have a feeling we're going to see that a lot. And that means there's going to be a lot of litigation uh, by folks like me and also by members of Congress who will be challenging uh, all sorts of things. To me, and and this kind of bleeds now into our next topic of the hypocrisy, was there influence peddling of the Biden name by the Biden family members? 
I don't doubt that there was. It's not illegal to do it if that's what it was. My earliest memories, political memories in the 70s, were when Nixon resigned in 74, and partly because Republicans stepped up uh, and you know, took action against him. And then Billy Carter in the Carter administration. I remember Billy Carter and Libya and the uproar that that caused and Billy Beer and everything that he was trying to do as basically uh, the late brother of the president, the loser that he was uh, to make money off the fact that his brother was the president of the United States. There's nothing new. Hey, Trump kids, are you kidding me? Seriously, Republicans? Give me a break. Right. I mean, there we could actually see things. China giving trademark applications approved that it had disapproved or at least not taken positive action on. And then all of a sudden that Ivanka and gets they worked these, in the administration. They were in the administration at the time. I mean, give me a break. I mean, I hate the notion of what about ism. Well, what about this? What I, I hate that, but it's the hypocrisy that surrounds it that just I wish, and this is why were somewhat doomed as a country because they the Republicans and the Democrats can't get away from that. And it's not just the Republicans. We don't have to just beat up on the MAGA. It's the yeah. left-wing progressives too. Looking at, I was watching Smirconish the other day, who I respect very much, and when he was railing, and, and Dan Abrams on News Nation, who I respect very much, because they're both moderates, railing on the fact that there actually could and needs to be a good immigration policy in place. And the Biden administration wants to work with Republicans. Why can't they get it done? It's not just because of MAGA. It's because of the far left Democrats who don't want to deal with the Republicans. That's not the way that government functions. And that bleeds hypocrisy wise right into our next situation of Jim Jordan and Hunter Biden and the issue of a subpoena and Jim Jordan yeah, railing on Biden. That. You can unload on that yeah. one. You know, Go Jim ahead. Jordan railing on the fact that they've subpoenaed Hunter Biden to appear before the committee, and he did not. And the hypocrisy surrounding that, since Jim Jordan was subpoenaed by his own body to appear and refused to do so in ultimate disgrace. And the issue with, you know, there are, there is some strength on the Republican side for wanting to have a closed-door interview uh, of Hunter Biden. I have participated representing clients in closed door congressional interviews. It is very typical that a, a committee, regardless of who's in power, would first interview a witness behind closed doors to find out what they know. I mean, it is a smart legal slash political tactic. Uh, it's also Hunter Biden and Abby Lowell, who uh, who I'm friends with uh, as a colleague, his lawyer, make very good points of, no, I want to testify in person, in open session, public session, because this is a witch hunt and and, and politicization. Uh, and they're both sides, in the sense, right about that. And uh, again, it, it is a an undermining of democracy because it is contributing to the, the negative stigma of Congress uh, and the system. Uh, but I mean, Jim Jordan, you know, lives in a glass house and you know what you're not supposed to do when you live in a glass house. Yeah. Piss, piss all over it. But that's it. But look, we were our colleagues were standing out there when Jim Jordan said you there under no circumstances should you be allowed 
to avoid a congressional subpoena. And not one reporter, not one reporter, not one reporter looked at Jim and said, well, then why the hell haven't you testified? I mean, I, I wish I had been not? there for that. That's... How can no one ask that question? Yeah, John, <laughs> you weren't you weren't there that day. I was I, not there. I was you watching. You would have asked it. I would have asked it. I I I don't. I, are we? Maybe we're just that desensitized. Maybe there's too much of this stuff to keep track of. I I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, you know, I I think it's easy to lock in on the story of the day anymore, and that's not the story of the day. The story of the day was what the rules committee was doing and, and Hunter appearing on Capitol Hill, not to testify, of course. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 it needed, it, it, it didn't need to be asked. I, I just think it's easy to lock in on what it's easy to lock in on the last thing you and your editor talked about. Yeah. And, and, now that's and, true. and then, and that becomes the next thing you have to deliver. And then, Oh, by the way, you've got a print story to finish by the afternoon. So I, I just think it's easy anymore we forget some of the stuff. Now it should have been asked. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the end of the day and I, I'm not bullshitting at the end of the day, it's like Charles Manson coming out and going, you know, mass murder is bad. No one should ever get away with, it. you know, and how can you do mass murder? And well, you know that, I mean, Jim Jordan avoided the, a, a damn subpoena still hasn't testified. I get the reason, Mark, I agree that there are, are good reasons both for and against testifying privately and in public, it's all turned into it again. At the end of the day, I guess I have to ask this question. Do facts even matter anymore? Does anybody, or is it all rhetoric? <laughs> John, you're shaking your head. No, <laughs> except in but a court of law, <laughs> except in a court of law. I don't yeah. think facts, people give a shit about the facts anymore. Our last bastion, our last firewall against complete utter chaos is, is, is our court system. At least you've got to be accountable in a court of law with facts as, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Mark, as, as a attorney for Michael Cohen found out, you can't just use chat, <laughs> a chat bot to come together with your, uh, your, your arguments without citing real facts. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it is a serious problem. I mean, I mean, this is the, the Trump and, and the Trump playbook, but it's the authoritarian, 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 authoritarian. I can't say yeah. this is why I, I don't use big words uh, <laughs> at least this early in the day without my, I haven't had coffee yet as John's drinking his coffee. I haven't had coffee yet. Uh, the notion of you, you know what the fact is, but you deny it. I mean, Rudy Giuliani going back to the first part. He, he stipulated that he had defamed this, these women, that he had no basis, in fact, to say what he said. Yet he still said, oh, don't worry, I'll show you. You'll see soon enough because I have the facts. I'm not, I don't regret anything I said because it's all true. Again, I think that's because of a, a mental health issue versus something else. But I do too. it's not the messenger that I'm making the point about. It's the recipients of that message that how do you not recognize that there's this issue, that facts do matter. And I mean, we see this with so many within the senior MAGA movement. This is the gameplay that they do. It is. It doesn't matter what we previously said. It doesn't even matter if you show us what we previously said, right. even if it's on camera, 
We deny it. And yeah. people, for whatever reason, believe it. And this is why I'm very concerned uh, uh, about our our country. And part of it is, as you guys were saying, the journalists, you know, why aren't they asking the right questions or throwing this in some face? Now, some do. You guys do. And, and there are a lot of who, you know, who do brilliant brilliantly well, well they will challenge people on the spot you know and the part of the problem also is i remember um the you know the the, the meet the press um what was the, the the current host what's her name again Kristen? yeah Kristen welker well welker right when she interviewed trump and uh that right her first big interview and and she challenged him at certain points as she should have about facts but at some point in time I, and I think we talked about this once, uh, right after she did it. It looked, to me personally, at least, it looked rude. It looked obnoxious because she was inter she was interrupting him so many times because he was falsely dating and lying at times, and she needed to do it. But the look wasn't good. And and I and I imagine internally they had conversations about that because optics and perception matter. And I'm concerned that maybe for some of the reporters, you know, that they're not asking the right questions because they want to have that next interview. I mean, this is a telltale, you know, long time problem that that has always been there, too. But it's much more pronounced now because you have to challenge so much more than you ever had to facts or statements coming out of someone's mouth because they're not facts. And, you know, they if they're in power and they're controlling you talking to them and they won't give you a comment uh that's that's harmful to your career so there's a balance there that have to be made i'm generic i'm generically obviously uh, lumping everybody together here uh but it's the only way well, to explain the issue i i go back to sam donaldson a, a great quote from sam who said look i'm i'm less concerned about appearing rude or combative i'm more concerned about reporters afraid or unwilling to ask a question and that's been pronounced over and i and it wasn't him just him i mean it's Sam, it's Walter Cronkite who said similar uh, things and and other CBS anchors who shall remain nameless who have retired, uh, Dan Rather. But uh, not that I'm <clears throat> Dan Rather. Anyway, so uh, I, I find it I find it appalling that we're not pushing harder. But I understand the concern about what you're speaking to, Mark, is access journalism. You know, if you piss someone off, they're not going to give you the access. I, at this point in time in my life, I don't care it, it, you know, answer the damn question or not. And if you're in an open situation like that, you shouldn't be, you should never be afraid to call somebody like Jim Jordan on the carpet for what he, you know, for the lies that he's, it just, if, if you were, if the guy were at your neighborhood barbecue and he started, and it was a friend of yours and started spouting nonsense, you'd call him out for it, but we don't do it. And I, I find that reprehensible. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Israeli hostages and, of course, the shiv in the back, John's favorite issue, the shiv in the back in Potomac. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. 
Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly roundup of news, Just Ask the Press. With me, as always, is former, or no, current editor. At John almost gave he you a different job. He did it again. <laughs> this is the third time in four weeks. I'm, I'm going to have to watch my back. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm always used to interview introducing Michael as former right. you know, yeah. federal prosecutor, yeah. Yeah. and I just conflate the two. But John, well, we look it, so much alike. How could you not? Yeah. Editor at large at CQ Roll Call, and joining us with uh, his experience in uh, national security and FOIA, uh, our one of our favorite attorneys, Mark Zaden. Full disclosure, my attorney too. So <laughs> we're going to start out with. Uh, the Israeli hostages killed while waving a light by a white flag. This was reported by the New York Times, killed by the IDF. A mess it, at the same time, you've seen Biden begin to push back against uh, BB in public. We know that, John, you and I both know that in, in private, there, there were some other, it, it was always being pushed hard uh, back against him about being cautious privately. He still has, the president still is, um, unequivocal in his support for um, for Israel, but has asked them to be more cautious. There was a formal vote in the United Nations asking for a ceasefire. And I guess we'll go with you there, John. It's Is this going to change Biden's policy, A? And B, do we take these reports, even though they were in the New York Times, at face value? Take the reports, the reports of the uh, the hostages killed by their own uh, by the IDF while waving a white flag. Is that because there have been you talk about facts and 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 how malleable they are in this particular uh, conflict? They've been particularly uh, difficult sure. to nail down. I'll take the uh, Israeli Defense Force confirmation and apology. Uh, very seriously because they don't do that a lot yep so i'm gonna i'm gonna believe that this happened because the israeli defense force admitted that it happened yep. and expressed an an um an uncharacteristic amount of transparency and sympathy and empathy and regret a lot of regret came out yeah. of the idea so um this happens um you know it's I, I've already heard some American officials and and uh, members of Congress kind of shrug this off as just the fog of war. But according to some of the reports, um, I think this is a very troubling, um, you know, the president of the United States likes to talk about inflection points. And this could be an inflection point in this conflict. Um, one of the uh, Israeli hostages that the IDF uh, says uh, was killed that day was initially wounded, was able to retreat into a shelter of some sort, and was pleading with the IDF forces in Hebrew, explaining who who this person was. And the IDF uh, soldiers re-engaged and ended up shooting and killing them anyway. So when you're in a conflict like this that's so emotional for understandable reasons, what happened on October 7th you know, was disgusting excuse me and it goes back centuries and you yes. know what can happen is you're a hammer 
and everything is a nail. These IDF forces reportedly had been involved in some pretty nasty fighting in that area, in that neighborhood of, uh, I believe it was Gaza City, for most of last week with Hamas forces and others. So, you know, they they, they had reason to initially believe that th these might be, um, you know, enemy forces maybe, you know, trying to draw us in for some kind of ambush. But the IDF has even said this should have been figured out pretty quickly that these were hostages. They were shirtless. They had a white flag that they had made with a stick and uh, and some kind of white material. Obviously, they were waving the flag, speaking in Hebrew. Um, you know, this was this was about as bad as a mistake that can be made in war. And, you know, the reports are that President Biden is sending uh, Defense Secretary Austin and others to Israel to begin pressing them privately uh, to take their foot off the gas and start winding this down and to also ask them what their goals are. Um, I tried to ask John Kirby in the briefing room at the White House at the beginning of all this, you know, destroy Hamas. That's not really a goal. That's a, right. a kind of an objective. That's an 80,000 foot. Okay, now walk me through how you're going to get there. And, and you know, what are the stages of this? You know, we, we, we still haven't really heard that from the IDF. We haven't heard that from uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. And, you know, I think President Biden realizes that if they don't have those kind of goals, then, you know, this just goes on and on forever. And then is there a Gaza left and is there a population left? Yeah. When I've asked Kirby and uh, numerous times, you know, that's the question that that's the key question. What are the goals? What are we going to, and they defer to, well, we're supporting Israel. They make the decisions yeah. on the ground. If what we've been told, but what, when we read between the lines, what we've also seen is that indeed this administration has kept pressure on, on Netanyahu to take the foot off the gas. And it was fact, this administration that did get, you know, a, a brief ceasefire to bring the hostages out. The question has to be going forward is how damaging is this to, and the reason why I asked the very obvious question before anybody gets any ideas, the idea that, you know, th that, uh, the, the questioning about whether this is real or not, obviously it is, but you have apologists on both sides. Hamas will tell you that this has been, uh, ongoing and it's not reported enough. There are extremists on the other side who say, no, this is you know never happening. And it's the facts that are always the, you know, I think it was Patton who said, you know, facts are the first casualty of war may have been someone else. Uh, Mark, I, I'd like you to weigh in on it. Well, it's a tragic story. And obviously we all feel for the family, the hostages and the families of hostages, but also the IDF soldiers who now have to live with this for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I, I've handled a lot of military cases, including during war, uh, including war crimes in Iraq, uh, alleged, although there were. Uh, and, you know, the notion of, I, I remember when I had handled the Haditha case, which was a horrific tragedy in the city of Haditha, Iraq, dozens of civilians, innocents killed by our, our forces. Part of it was, <coughs> excuse me, because many of the the marines who were involved had been in fallujah where it was very much the same sentiment that exists in gaza right now which is if you are seen publicly 
you are an enemy. You are considered an enemy combatant because they've told all of the civilians to leave that particular right. area so that if they see you, that means they can shoot you because you're a bad guy or otherwise you wouldn't be there. Hostages don't necessarily have that choice. And this is reflective of the problems of fighting terrorism and counterinsurgents and insurgencies because they don't wear uniforms and they play tricks like this. Uh, and, you know, we always got to bring Star Trek into all this. I remember, you know, uh, original series episode, if you remember the one where Lincoln was in and the yeah. Romulans and they brought him down to the planet and they had heroes from the past fighting on each side. And the enemy of Kirk and Spock mimicked um, the good guys who they had killed to come yeah. and lure them in so that they could go get them. They mimicked their voice. So I'm sure there are Palestinians and Hamas folks who can speak Hebrew. Uh, you know, I probably not as many of, of Israelis who can speak Arabic, but probably I'm sure there are some. So that was a problem. I hope that it doesn't cause support for Israel to wane because now three innocents on the Israeli side have died. The issue is more about ensuring Israel adheres to humanitarian law. And it has done so far more than we did in World War II. We did in Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. Probably maybe we did even in Iraq and Afghanistan, although they're, you know, we're certainly better than it has always been because we've grown from that to, to respect life more and have weapons that can do more precise uh, hits than it used to be. But you know, it, it is a, a huge, huge problem. And people don't understand, those who have been supporting Hamas, thinking they're supporting the Palestinian people, they don't understand that humanitarian law allows for civilians to be killed. They don't want civilians to be killed, but there are rules of law that allow it. Uh, and that's what they're asking the Israelis to adhere to. The problem is, in modern time, this isn't Dresden in the 1940s right. where we see the film after and we see only what the government wants to show us. They all got cell phones and they all you know, got cameras and we see this playing. And then the soldiers are wearing all the cameras, right? We see right. all this film footage. Um, Chris Cuomo did a great segment the other day where he w went and saw the IDF or not the IDF, but the Israelis. In the consulate, New York showed him uh, unedited film footage that is not being publicly shown because of how graphic it is, uh, of how horrific Hamas has actually been. That's not being discussed. Uh, and it, it is a really difficult situation um, to require one side to adhere beyond the rules of law because of what the public perception is of being able to watch it online. Uh, in real time, uh, and then the other side not being held to any type of standard. So, you know, those of us who are impacted um, directly by what's going on over there in particular understand the notion of if you don't destroy Hamas, then the problem is never going to go away. Yeah, but the question is, what is that? To me, I I don't know what that means. Is is Do you destroy its infrastructure do you destroy it do you destroy every single member of hamas the the question i think that has to be asked is and and i'm sure that the administration is doing it and john you know you and i have heard 
from the administration several times about it. I think this is the question that they're wrestling with. I don't think there are any easy answers to. What does it mean to destroy Hamas? It would be like destroying al-Qaeda, destroying ISIS, even to the extent that you really do destroy all the leadership and the infrastructure. There's always going to be some remaining, and they just regroup and rename themselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's just the reality of, of the world. But, you know, you, you need, and, and Gaza is different than a lot of, the, maybe sort of you look at like the Taliban type situation in Afghanistan. You know, Hamas was elected to be in a leadership position, and that's a problem. And you need to be able to destroy that so that the Palestinians, the innocent Palestinians, of which there are many, the people, uh, elect individuals who respect the rule of law and humanity and respect the right of Israel to exist. And until you don't have a government that is supportive of that, then Israel is always going to be at war with those in Gaza. And and have been for quite a while. Um, we're going to take a, well, we're not going to take a short break, but we are going to, uh, I'll leave you with the last word on this, John. Um, I, you know, do you think that that the U.S. has had any effect on the outcome there, mitigating how the Israelis conduct their their uh, their campaign. I do. I, I think eventually, um, U.S. officials were able to um, hold Prime Minister Netanyahu back to some extent. But remember, very early on, when President Biden went to Israel, and his advice. Uh, to Netanyahu and, uh, and his war cabinet and others there was uh, learn learn a lesson from us after 9-11. We made mistakes. Don't be blinded by retribution. I think that is going to turn out to be very poignant. And, you know, obviously, obviously the Israelis were, were very upset and hurt by what happened. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think, I just think that 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 comment by President Biden will will be part of how we judge this whenever it ends. And so we're going to move on now. And, to- and I, I just want to add one thing, Brian. I, I think part of the message that Austin and others will have to take to the Israelis is you might have to start winding this down because there ain't no aid deal back in Washington. There isn't a deal. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to put on my columnist hat, hashtag analysis. I don't think there's a deal to be had that can pass both chambers and get to the president's desk. Unless so, they ease up. Uh, well, no, I don't, I don't think there's a deal to be had in Congress, wow. period. Now, story. Wow, now Biden has some powers as the head of the government and as commander in chief and and all that. And he's already he did that with the two hundred million dollars they announced uh, recently. And he can keep doing some of that. They can, you know, the Pentagon can reprogram some money. You know, you can probably get that agreement in Congress. But I, because of this insistence that it not have Ukraine aid and and this this so far fantasy that they're going to reach a border package part of this that the House is somehow magically going to pass with just Republican votes. Um, and, oh, by the way, it's got to get out of the Senate with 60 votes. I just, I don't see a deal on any of this aid happening. I, I don't I don't understand what changes in January and February 
and March. And oh, then, oh, by the way, we're in the thick of an election. Yeah, on the th- well, and we're going to be in the thick of an election after the first of the year. And, and next, so I, will, I, I will be shocked <clears throat> if a, if a, a significant aid package passes. Maybe they can do something small. Um, but I don't think you're going to get Democrats if you strip out the Ukraine aid. I, yeah, I just don't I, see Democrats going for that. So as of right now, I just don't see that there's a deal in Congress to be had. And then I have to uh, I'm going to be the cynic here or the or where I'm going to put on that hat and go. And at that point in time, all the illegal arms dealers will make mint off of both Ukraine and 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 uh, the Middle East. Yeah. And, he can go elsewhere. He can try to go to Europe. Um, they haven't been. Um, and the president Biden is right. No, you know, no one has done more to help Israel, especially materially than the United States. He can look elsewhere, but I think it's, it's, it's a really hard sell, uh, other places. Well, with that final, uh, well, well, with that note, we'll move on to the, the, the last thing we want to talk about. And John, you get to unpack this one. I hope I pronounced this man's right. Leonisis Shivs DC. I just love the title to it that you put in the headline. Leonisis Shivs DC with the proposed move of the Caps and the Wizards to no man's land in the Potomac Yards. <laughs> yeah, that one made you happy, didn't it? <laughs> well, it didn't make me happy. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to refer to Ted by his first name after this week. Yeah, and- Ted. What Ted did, and now let me preface this with, you know, Mayor Bowser, the mayor of D.C., made a lot of mistakes. Uh, The council is famously anti-sports a lot of the time. Uh, So D.C. officials have made plenty of mistakes here. Um, And and allowing this to even be on the table. Yeah. Uh, You know, sports, I've thought a lot about this this week since since Ted announced that he was going to move the Caps and the Capitals and the, the Wizards, the NBA franchise, uh, across the river to Northern Virginia. You know, the, the Capitals are one thing. They have a loyal fan base. The fan yes. base is not based in the district, let's be honest. So I'm less uh, exercised by the hockey team moving closer to at least part of its fan base in Virginia. But I've always said this because I've been downtown Um when Gilbert Arenas was hitting threes to force overtime and LeBron was looking dejected early in his career, going back to the huddle, I felt the arena literally shake under my feet. This is a basketball town at heart. DC really loves basketball. And um, when, when the franchise has been somewhat successful, they've only won one championship and that was a long time ago, but it's part of the city. It's part of the district. And to take the basketball team out of a city like Washington that for a long time was predominantly black, and you can't and and when the the when Abe Poland built what is now Capital One Arena in Gallery Place Chinatown, it revitalized not just that neighborhood, but it helped revitalize the city. It helped start the process of bringing DC back. And I understand that Ted has legitimate beefs with security and crime. And 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 all of that in that area, and that does fall on the district to do more. If you know, there was a story yesterday I read. the The manager of, of the Clyde's and Gallery Place had reached out to DC uh, officials, and they did increase security around that restaurant. And now they're not; they were threatening to close, and wow. now they're not anymore. So I understand all of that, 
But when you own a professional sports franchise, it is a public trust. Yes, you're there to make money. That's part of the deal. You put up a bunch of money and long term, you make it back hand over fist. But it's a public trust, especially, you know, the Steelers in Pittsburgh, basketball in D.C. Um, The Packers in Green Bay. Right. And he broke that trust. Ted broke that trust. And, you know, the, the Wizards... You know, they're not good. They're kind of a joke right now. They're rebuilding. They stripped it down. They had to do it. Um, But it's just, it's a part of the identity of the city when they are at least competitive. And it means something to that neighborhood. And the neighborhood has taken a downturn. And I I don't believe Ted when he says he's going to keep the building long-term open and Georgetown's going to play there and the Mystics and concerts. Are you really going to book a big a big um, a, a big band or or a, a big performer and put them in your old arena when you could put them in your shiny new thing across the river. Yeah. I just, I'm not buying it, Ted. And maybe you're bluffing, Ted. And I'll speak directly to Ted right now. I hope you're bluffing. And I hope you stay. I hope you at least keep the Wizards downtown. That's where they belong. Well, I, I know, Mark, you're a big sports fan. What do you think about it? So I jumped on this literally i think within seconds of seeing the first story break on it because it it hit me uh really hard not because i'm a wizards uh right is that where you are i don't see i'm not yeah. i'm not a basketball or hockey fan i'm not I'm, I'm a baseball i'm a nats fan since since day one season ticket holder but i am a huge fan of both dc and the area of where the these new stadiums or this new stadium will go. And I, I doubt probably many people outside of the Beltway understand where we're talking about, right? We're talking about uh, this, what is now called Potomac Yard, which was nothing when I lived there in Crystal <laughs> City for a decade in the 90s into the early 2000s. I was there on 9-11, literally down the street from the Pentagon when the plane hit. And I was so close to the Pentagon that my building shook from the shockwave of the impact upon the Pentagon. And Potomac Yard was built up only about 20 years ago uh, from literally just dirt and 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 crime. And I mean, nothing there. I played softball across the, the street on the other side of that highway route one. The the issue is Crystal City was known, was built mostly in the 60s uh, by Charles E. Smith. And it has been home to the government for most part. Now the government's been leaving for the last two decades also because of how expensive the rent is. And then Amazon, this is where Amazon chose their new headquarters, which while they haven't fully gone in yet, it brought up home prices significantly, uh, 20-25%. I hope that that, this new announcement will have the same, because the people who live there should get the hell out of there as quickly as they can, because (laughs) Route 1 is a two-lane road north and south. Yeah. The amount of traffic that will go because of this new stadium and it is the literally the only way to get into Alexandria, Old Town, Virginia, for the most part. You go down the GW Parkway, you go down Route 1, or you come from the other side completely and circle around. 
<laughs> and there's no room to expand the highway over there at all. I cannot, for the life of me, envision how for the residents, what they will have to deal with. Actually, I can't envision it. This is why I feel so bad for them. What they will endure <laughs> when there is a game or a concert there, especially during rush hour. There is a metro, but unlike Gallery Place, which is on the red line and near Metro Center, which is on multiple lines, hence the name Center, that you could easily get to from mo almost every line of the metro, not this one. You, you got to go blue, and I'm trying to think if it's only yellow at that point. It might still be blue. Uh, I think it might just be yellow. And, oh, my God, what, an, what a nightmare. There are, I'm sure, so many factors that go into play as to why Ted would do this that we may not know about from a business standpoint. Uh, although I go with John I, and what you mentioned, Brian, I, I really don't like teams being called names that they are not representative of. I'm yeah. a New Yorker. The New York Jets and New York Giants, as a New Yorker, I'm offended that they are the New York Jets and New York Giants because they don't play in New York. No. They play in New Jersey. <laughs> they, they moved. They left. Well, then why aren't they New Jersey? And I don't know what this would be, Arlington Capitals? Uh, Arlington <laughs> Wizards? <laughs> Arlington Wizards? Uh I, Crystal City Wizards, Potomac Yard Wizards. I, I don't know, but I mean, to me, it's it's very insulting when the a Virginia team, Virgins, <laughs> yeah, a team keeps the name of a city that they honestly don't have a, a significant relationship to anymore. And if I was the DC Council, I'd force them to change the name if if that's even a thing to do. But if this is a reality as a done deal, uh, I I'm not going to Crystal City for. No. I'm not making appointments to go to business in Crystal City anytime soon or or any ball games. Look, I'll, I'll look at it this way. Remember the Baltimore before there were the Ravens, there was this team called the Baltimore Colts and they took Baltimore, the Colts, and they that was a team that was glued to the city. I mean, in the 60s, some of those cats were playing football and then working at the car dealership. So back, you know, when the NFL didn't make a whole lot of money uh, and they were well known. Johnny Unitas was uh I mean, these were guys that were, I mean, you couldn't separate the identity between the team and the city. And for me, it's the Washington, what bothers me most is, look, I've been a, a Washington's basketball fan since a guy, you know, I played for his brother, high school basketball. Um, George Unseld was my high school basketball coach. Wes Unseld was his brother. And Wes took uh, the only time my high school ever won a state championship was when Wes Unseld in 64 and 65 uh, was at now, you know, the Seneca Redskins and they're not called the Redskins anymore. They're Seneca something else, but um, at our high school and there was a, there's a huge in, in the middle of the floor, when you walk in this huge display that this, you know, so described Wes and our championships. And so that's been, I, I I've been a fan. I can't imagine them moving that, that team. And I mean, you can change the last name of the team. You can change who they're, but the idea, the, I, the identity with the city, I think I I'm with you, John, I'm with you, Mark. I, I, I think it destroys the entire, the entire association with the team. And that, well, that well, I don't think that they're going to, yeah. 
And one thing, putting it on a two lane road, you might as well put it on a dirt right, road. I one just, thing John well said, a, you might as well ride a horse to the game. Yes. <laughs> but John, you know what you said about what Capital One Arena did for Gallery Place Chinatown. Yeah. And yeah. when you think about building new stadiums, let's think about just, e and I'm sure this goes across the nation, but the reason why a city brings in a st new stadium is to help revitalize the area that yep. it was in. And, and if you look at our stadiums here, yep. RFK did that, even though it's not really used much anymore, RFK Stadium did that for Southeast DC. Natch Field did it for Southwest DC. Capital One, when it was whatever it was when it first opened, did it for Gallery Place. Potomac right. Yard does not need revitalization. No. Now, <laughs> because Potomac Yard was what revitalized the depressed area. That's right. Yeah. Potomac Yard is a high-end shopping uh, residential zone now. It, you know, there's 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 high-end grocery stores, movie theaters, shopping. It, it doesn't need a stadium to bring money in. Will it bring money in? Sure. But it doesn't need it to turn a corrupt, bad area into something beautiful. It It's just, oh, what a nightmare. I, I hearken back, and you guys will probably remember this, do you remember in the mid '90s when Disney was going to build yes. an amusement park? Which I'm thinking that's going to be awesome, but it was going to be at the end or at least out Route 66 into Virginia, another like two, three lane road. There was no way that that park could ever exist because of what the traffic would have been for the entire region. It would have been a nightmare, and that's one reason why it collapsed. I think this is a bad idea for the community, D.C. and Virginia. Whether it's just good for Ted, example, I don't know. Just a bad example idea. of the fall of the American empire. That's <laughs> yes. now, let, me, let me jump in on the traffic. I grew up going to the old Charlotte Coliseum to see the Charlotte Hornets, and and that and Charles Barkley, the the it was still with the Philadelphia 76ers at the time, dating myself. Um, and they had to get to the airport to go out west. They stopped in Charlotte for a game and then they had a West Coast swing. And their bus got caught in, in traffic post game. And he said it's the biggest house in the league, and it's got one road in and one road out. That was Tyvola Road in Charlotte. This would somehow be worse yeah. than that situation was. And on on that wonderful thought, <laughs> thanks guys for this. It, it is it it is worse. It's gonna be oh well. For those who love sports, stick around. It only gets worse. <laughs> Mark, I'll let you plug what you want, brother. Where can we catch you? Oh, there's nowhere anymore because I hate Twitter X. <laughs> you know, I I'm on I'm on Threads. I'm on uh, Blue Sky. Thanks to you, Brian. Nobody seems to pay attention to me on those platforms. I still have a platform on X, but I could care less if anybody tweets at me because I won't read what <laughs> what you write. Uh, but, you know, you can go to markzade.com if you want to hire me to sue the U.S. government, especially if you're a federal employee or need a security clearance. There you go. So if you want to sue, <laughs> that's a good plug. John, you're up. Uh, tough, tough to follow. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, weekly column every Friday, um, maybe Thursday this week. Who knows when we'll get it up? But uh, right. usually every Friday morning, a column rollcall.com. 
And the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. You can catch us wherever fine podcasts are sold. The name of the book is called Free the Press. And, of course, you can catch my column every week in Salon. I want to thank you guys for joining us. We'll catch you again next week, next time. Have a good week.